0: Amen, take your Bibles this morning, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter, tw- or sorry, Second Samuel, Second Samuel this morning, chapter 12. And children, let's walk out quietly as we go to junior church. Second Samuel chapter 12 this morning. If you don't know that God is good, then you don't know God. And uh, I don't say that to in, in a position of leverage, or anything like that to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying the facts are, is to know God, is to know that he is good. And that he has been so good to us. I, uh, about a week ago I was talking to uh, Pastor Harry Strachan on the phone in, in Ashland, Ohio. And uh, it's his habit when I say, hey, how are you doing? He'll say, I'm living the dream. That's his, usually his go-to answer. And then I, uh, I'm singing about Chris Flack. I'll say, "How you doing, brother Flack?" And he'll say, "Every day's a blessing. Every day's a blessing." That's his answer. And you don't know brother Flack's history, perhaps, but he had some serious heart issues, and the doctor said, "When that, when that thing happens, you're going to die." But praise the Lord, God saved his life, and got him to the hospital, and his wife and called nine one one. They got him there, and he he survived. And so he truly believes that every day is a blessing and uh but that's their way of saying god is good god is good and we need to be reminded of that and uh you know that's I, i'm listening to those songs this morning i can't help but think that's that's just kind of our testimony every one of us can say that that god is good and uh, we are what we are uh, but thank god that he saved us and changes us every day second samuel chapter 12 this morning i'm going to confess a Sin to you this morning. Last Sunday night while Brother Calvin was preaching, I flipped to the wrong book of the Bible and uh, he, was, he was preaching on Jesus' friend of sinners and I don't know how I ended up in 2 Samuel but when you're talking about Jesus, but I, I guess I just kind of opened my Bible and I was just starting to, the process of finding where he was and, and uh, when I did, my eyes fell across this verse. I was looking for the chapter, the you know where we were, and my eyes hit these words. And since last Sunday night, I haven't been able to get them out of my head. The Lord has really just kind of just spoke to my heart all week about it, and so I I just felt like the Lord would have me preach on that this morning. The title of my message is "Who Can Tell?" Who can tell? It comes from a phrase in verse twenty-two that says, "Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me?" Who can tell? whether God will be gracious to me. We come to a point in the life of King David where David has sinned. David, as you'll remember, the story was out on the rooftop of his home and spied out a woman named Bathsheba who was bathing herself and something took over in his heart. The Bible says he took her as if she were his wife and she conceived a child And David proceeded to begin to try to cover up that sin. He called Uriah home from the battle that he might go in unto his wife and they would just think that it was his child. But Uriah was an honorable man and he wouldn't go home while the other soldiers were in battle. So he lied at the gate of the king's house. And so David decided that he would put Uriah at the front of the battle And he told the captains and the soldiers that when the battle gets hot, you withdraw and let Uriah fight the battle on his own. And of course, he was overtaken by the enemy and he died. But no sin is secret unto God. And God told Nathan the prophet, and Nathan would come to David in first 2 Samuel chapter 16. And the first several verses, he would tell him a parable. You're talking about a man that had many sheep, but he took a lamb from another. And David got very angry about that. He says, well, we'll take that man and we'll put him to death, for he has so much already, and yet he would steal from another man. And Nathan the prophet said, thou art the man. David had many wives, and yet he took the Sheba from Uriah the Hittite. We come to the point now where Nathan has pronounced judgment upon the sin of David and he's about to leave. And the Bible says in verse 15, one of those judgments, we'll look at them a little closer in a moment, one of those judgments is that that child that had been conceived would be born and die. Well, that'd be a difficult thing. We're going to see some things in the scriptures today that Perhaps you can relate to. You've sat beside the bedside of a loved one dying. You've prayed fervently. I know there's some in this room that have lost children. And there's no greater loss this side on this earth. And David was... Akin to that, he understood what that felt like. And the Bible says in verse 15 of 2 Samuel chapter 12, and Nathan departed unto his house. He has pronounced judgment. He has told David exactly what's about to happen. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Notice how the Holy Spirit records this session. She was Uriah's wife. Even though he had died... God wants to be very clear who's this wife, who, who Bathsheba belonged to. Verse 16, David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. One of the most difficult things I believe anybody ever did in the Bible. We see acts of heroism throughout the scriptures. We say men and women willing to give their lives for the cause of Christ. We see David fighting Goliath and stepping up as a young boy, a ruddy youth as Goliath would call him, and face off against the giant of Gath. But I think one of David's most difficult challenges is when upon hearing of his child's death, getting up and worshiping God. I can't tell you how many times we lose somebody at Bethel Baptist Church, and the family just says, you know, I I don't think I can come to church Sunday morning, pastor. I understand their suffering and their grief, and they're saying, I just just don't feel like I can be around people. I don't need a 100 people coming up and crowding me and giving their condolences. And so understand how difficult that might have been for David to get up and go and worship God upon the death of his child. Read on with me, if you will. The Bible says in verse 21, or sorry, verse 20, then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came to the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house and when he required or asked, they set bread before him and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Our Heavenly Father, I need your help this morning. It's a difficult passage of Scripture, Lord, and I I, I believe that even as we just read the passage, there's here today those that would identify with the loss of a child. That's not the thrust of the message, but I can just see that how we read the scripture, that there's some who can identify with David. They understand that the pain that he is feeling. Lord, I, I don't mean to open wounds, but instead may we be reminded how good God is. May we be reminded of his grace and seeing the life of David, how he begged God because he believed that God was good. He wasn't sure whether God would show his grace one more time. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to cling to that hope. Help us understand that each time we bow before God in the throne room and we go into that holy place and beseech the throne of God and we look for mercy, but we find grace to help in the time of need. That Every time we do that, we must have the hope in our heart that David had. Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me? Father, help us as we go through this passage. May the word of God speak to us. Bless your word with your Holy Spirit. May the Spirit of God fill me and fill each one. Help us to understand and learn. We surrender to you and we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll back up just a few verses in 2 Samuel chapter 15, you'll notice some things with me. David had sinned and Nathan had come to him and rebuked him on behalf of God about his sin. He put the finger in his face, he said, "Thou art the man." And so things were going to happen as a result of this sin, as, as it always does. Sin always results in God's displeasure. I don't say that in a way that minimizes the consequences of sin. I don't want you to think that 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 I am promoting an idea today that says when when I sin all I do is get God upset a little bit. I cause him to be uncomfortable or I cause displeasure. Understand this, the displeasure of a holy God can open up the wrath of heaven upon us. We we never want to fall into the hands of an angry God. We have to make sure that we understand that the the consequences of sin are, are more than we can bear. And so God had to send his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, to bear our sins for us and pay for them on the cross of Calvary. The Bible is very plain that the wages of sin is death. And as with all sin, there was a punishment for David's. Look at chapter 12, if you will, in verse 10. As Nathan begins to pronounce the judgment of God, he says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. David would always be a man of war. There would not be a time where David was not in a battle engaged somewhere. And understand the burden that would place upon a king to hear the reports more that men had died. That that he would have to report to wives that their children were now uh, without a father, that their husband was not coming home. That David had sent them into another battle that perhaps they would not come home from it. And, and David wore the blood of many people on his hands because of this sin. The sword would never depart from his house. What a, a horrible burden that he would have to bear. And the Bible says in verse 10 because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to, be, to wife. Verse 11. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. There would be a rebellion take place in the house of David. David would be uh, both facing an enemy from without and an enemy from within. What a horrible way to have to go through life. He says, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. David's whole family was falling apart. Sin has some grave consequences. Verse 12 says, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Everybody will see it. The whole world will know that you sinned, David. Verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned. Notice in the Bible, when somebody does wrong, they don't say, I'm sorry. They say, I have sinned. You'll see it in the Old Testament and you'll see it in the New Testament. We often teach children, well, children, you need to go and say you're sorry or you're expressing sorrow for what you've done. But the Bible example is I have sinned. And when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It seems harsh to have to acknowledge that we are sinners before God, but it is then that God uh, in our weakness will wash us and cleanse us once again and restore us to a right relationship. And we see David in verse 13 will repent and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto him, David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. God's forgiven you. The moment he confessed, God forgave him. God hath put it away, but that does not mean consequences would not be suffered. God did spare him one consequence because he says, thou shalt not die. I don't know about you, but if I'm in the position of David, I almost think I'd say, well, Lord, I'd rather die than have to put up with all these things. To be constantly wondering if soldiers are coming home tonight, always wondering where the next attack is coming from, wondering if my wife is now with another man, and wondering if there's going to be attack from within my own house, and always looking over my shoulder and, and David had to deal with this for the rest of his life. But there was even another consequence that would come in verse fourteen, howbeit because by this deed thou hast Given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. There was a lot of things that God could punish David with, but I don't believe there was anything greater than taking his child. This wasn't just any child, this was a royal child. In days gone by, if a child was born to royalty, the nations of the world would come and pay homage to that child. This was not just a, a private punishment. This was something that the whole world would know about when the child of a king died. And so David did the only thing he could do. He went to prayer. Some of you have been in that position You've gotten bad news from a doctor whether you're expecting a child or whether a child has already been born and, and, and they've fallen ill and, and you know what it's like to, to beg God and plead with God for that life. And that's what David decides to do. Some of us look at the scripture and we say, but why would David even bother? God has already said the child is going to die. Why would God or David go through this this fruitless practice of praying to a God that has already said, I'm taking the child? Why would he beg and plead for the child's life? Why would he go without food and fast for seven days? Why would he not respond to any of his servants who tried to comfort him? And why would he lay in the dirt, the Bible says, and weep? Why would he do all that if God has said, the child is going to die? At the end of the week, after the child died, his servants would ask him just that, and David's answer was, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me and the child shall live? I know what God has said, and I know what God has said has come to pass, but I also know God is a God that is good, and he's a God that's full of grace. I want you to notice some things that I believe that was going on in the heart of David while he was having this seven-day prayer meeting. There wasn't masses of people at the prayer meeting. It was David on his face on the ground before God. You see, for seven days, for seven days. The Bible says the servants tried to get him up, and he wouldn't even get up. He wouldn't take bread. He wouldn't eat. For seven days, he laid there, and he wept, and he prayed, and he pleaded with God. I believe, and I, and I believe I can, I, I, I say, my son and I were talking about this last night, that I don't like preaching where a guy says, well, this is what is going on, but there's no biblical foundation for it. And I said, and we, we can paint a picture a little bit, but we have to make sure we're rooted in scripture. But I, I, I want to say this this morning, and, and I don't know what was going on in the mind of David. But I know what David knew for a fact. And so when I say this, I want you to bear with me for just a moment, but I believe that David was recalling the past. See, what do you mean? How do you know what David was thinking? Because I know what David knew to be true about his God. I believe that David spent some time recalling the past because here's number one, he knew that he had a faithful God. David knew he had a faithful God. Listen, David could in no way deny God's track record. As we sang this morning or we heard sung this morning, God is always good. God's been good in my life. And David could echo that refrain as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Perhaps David is laying upon that ground and he's weeping and he's praying and his tears are staining the very ground before him. And God reminds him, do you remember when I crowned you king. When the prophet came and he looked at all your brothers and none of them were chosen. And I told the prophet, don't you look upon his countenance. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but I'm looking at the heart. And he says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? He says, I have one more. I have a boy out in the field with a sheep. His name is David. And David would come and the prophet would anoint him king. Just a boy. Before he would ever fight Goliath. Before he would ever play his harp for King Saul. Before he would ever write a psalm. Before he would ever take the throne. God was good to David. And God anointed him, and the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon David and departed from Saul. And from that moment, it rested on David. God was good. And perhaps David, as he was praying, he had a knowledge that he had a faithful God. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, as David was trying to convince Saul, I can go fight the giant. He says, I slew a lion and a bear because of God's power. God is so good to me. How can I not stand up to this giant? And you know the rest of the story. David would go out and stand. And he'd say to that giant that the world may know that there's a God in Israel. I, boy, I, I, don't know, I don't know if it was just youthful exuberance or, or God told him to say it. But, but I like it. I, I said this on Wednesday night. You don't, listen, you don't need to go to the movies. Read your Bible. You want drama and intrigue and mystery and excitement? Read your Bible. David said, today I'm going to take the head right off your shoulders. Well, that's crude. Well, it's in the Bible. Don't get mad at me. That's what he did. And and you'll find that David took that head in his hand, and he walked all over the country with it. He went home, and he took off his armor, and he came back to Saul's palace. And the Bible says he still had that head in his hand, carrying Saul's head around. Well, that's gross. I don't care. It's in the Bible, so I get to say it. Amen? I I just want to say this. I, I believe that when David was praying, he knew absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt that his God was a faithful God. And so he prayed. Not only was he a faithful God, listen, he was a forgiving God. A forgiving God. David knew he had sinned. He knew he had done wrong. And he knew that God had already put away his sin. But perhaps God would forgive him again. You know, in Psalm chapter 25, verse 18, write that verse down. We don't, we don't have a lot of time this morning because i got a lot of message. Psalm 25, 18, David asked God to forgive him. He said, what is the significance of that? Psalm chapter 25 was written before David ever sinned with Bathsheba. We read about that in Psalm chapter 51, when David repents of his sin, the sin of adultery. But in Psalm chapter 25, David is asking God to forgive his sin, and he, he knows about God's forgiveness. He asks forgiveness, and what the point I'm trying to make is this. This is not the first time that David has sinned. We sometimes like to put our heroes in the Bible on a pedestal and and think, well, you know, here's a man after God's own heart and the only thing he ever did wrong. No, David also numbered Israel. David sinned on other occasions. And he admits in Psalm chapter 25 that, that he had sinned a sin that we don't even know what it is. But here's what he says. His God was faithful to forgive him. So as David is lying on the ground and weeping in the dirt, he understood that God is a faithful God, but God is a forgiving God. So he says, I'm going to continue to pray and I'm going to plead with God because I believe that God can change this situation. He's a faithful God, he's a forgiving God, but he's a fathomless God. The Bible says in the question that David would ask, who can tell? Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me? He says, I don't know. I really don't understand the depths of God. I don't understand the riches of His grace. God is so big and so merciful and so gracious. I'm going to keep praying because I don't understand. Here's what David said about Him in Psalm 145 Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness, listen, is unsearchable. He is a fathomless God. David prayed because although God's judgment had been pronounced, he also could not comprehend the depths of God's grace. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, you know, I, if I go to hell, I deserve to go there. Elon Musk was the latest I heard just said that. The fellow that built the Tesla Corporation and SpaceX and all, richest man in the world Probably. He says, well, if I go to hell, I deserve to be there. I think we all could write that tweet. But the truth is, Jesus is a forgiving God, a faithful God. And you say, well, I, I, you don't you understand how much I've sinned, but I know how big my God is. And his, the, the Bible we talked about last Sunday morning, the riches of his grace. If you're going to be rich in anything... Come to Jesus and experience his grace and know his forgiveness that that he can wash away all your sins. And by the way, God had already put away his sin. He was just suffering the consequences now. And David thought, I'm going to ask one more time. I'm going to plead for the life of my child. Who can tell? I don't know. But just maybe David held out hope. So I believe that as David was praying there, he was recalling the past because he knew, he knew beyond the shadow of doubt, he had a faithful God, a forgiving God, and a fathomless God. But I want you also to also say this I, I believe he was remembering the promises. I, I think you can start to see that, that perhaps when we pray, we can make some of these applications. Perhaps when we get into a sticky situation or we understand that maybe our finances are on a downturn, perhaps we lose a job, or perhaps an illness makes its way into our family or into our lives that maybe we ought to just stop and recall the past. God has always been good. God's always been there in the past. Why should this circumstance be any different? But I want you to also do this. I want you to remember the promises. I I did a search very quickly of the word mercy and grace in the book of Psalms, David, of course, wrote most of the Psalms. Over a 100 times, the word mercy and grace appear. David understood a promise of grace. He understood that God was a gracious God, and so he says, who can tell whether God will be gracious this time or not? But we also see not just a promise of grace, but a promise of good. And let me share some of David's thoughts with you. He says this in Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And he said, well, isn't that something, Pastor? But you just told us a few minutes ago that David does not acknowledge the sin of the Bathsheba until Psalm 51. And I'm smart enough to know that Psalm 38 comes before Psalm 51. Boy, it's easy to say God is good when everything's going well. But you know what David said after his son died? He said this For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth all generations. Later, he would say, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Again, he would say, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise unto his name, for it is pleasant. Again, he would say, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. That all took place after the death of his son. And yet, David still says, God is good. I just gave you the tip of the iceberg, There are countless verses after the death of this boy that David says God is good and his mercy endureth forever. We see that we are to follow his promises. He was recalling the past and he was remembering the promises that God is gracious and God is good. But I want you to see, thirdly, he relied on prayer. He relied on prayer. We know that David, the Bible says, he went and he fasted and he prayed before God. Pleaded and begging, begging for God for those seven days that his child lay sick. But I want you to notice a couple things. And again, I, I want you to know that David knew this. How many of you know that as David, as a young boy, would have to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, <clears throat> Numbers, and Deuteronomy? So he knew what I'm about to share with you. We see that he understood a historical example. As David was praying, I wonder, did God speak to his heart and remind him of some things? And certainly David understood that, recall how Abraham spoke to God. God came and said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What did Abraham do? He pleaded with God. He had a nephew living there. He says, God, if there were just 50 righteous men, would you... Destroy the city, and God said, no, not for 50 righteous. Abraham said, God, you're going to have to pardon me for this request, but what if it was just five less? And God said, no, not for 45. I won't, I won't destroy for 45. And they kept going back and forth, and Moses can, or Abraham continued to pray, and he said, what about 40? <coughs> God said, no, not for 40. What about 30? And Moses, or Abraham, with hat in hand, began to beg and plead with God over and over. And God continuously altered his judgment upon Sodom. Because God's nature is good and gracious. So we see a historical example. You'll remember that God said to Moses... Moses, the people can go up into the land and inhabit the land, and I will drive out the inhabitants of the land. I'll take care of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Hivites and all the rest, and I will drive them out before you, and you can inhabit the land. But you need to know this. Because of their sin, I am not going up with you. (coughs) They are a stiff-necked people. And I'm tired of dealing with them. And if I go up with them, I may consume them in the way. I'm not going And Moses began to plead with God. He says, God, don't give your enemies an occasion to speak ill. God, Moses said this, if you're not going up with us, then I don't want to go. I'm not going. And God showed mercy. And he says, Moses, I'll hearken unto your voice. Because you've prayed, I will go with you. I wonder as David laid in the dirt that day or those seven days, if he recalled to memory these two men of God that said, we're going to pray. God has pronounced judgment, but we're going to pray. God has said he will not go with us, but we're going to pray. God has said that he's going to destroy the city, but I'm going to pray. And God responded to their cries. David knew of that historical example. But I also believe this is paramount not only do we see a historical example in his prayer we see a hopeful expectation just the fact that he said who can tell whether god will be gracious to me who can tell he said i'm expecting god to do something god had made a pronounced judgment but david was clinging to mercy and to grace he never let go There are times, I suppose, that we look at a situation and God's will becomes apparent and perhaps we even begin to change our prayer a little bit. As a matter of fact, in just a moment, David will recognize God's providence. He'll say, the child has died and he shall not return to me, but I will go to him one day. He recognizes the providence of God, so he stops praying in that regard. But as long as there was hope... David said, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep pleading with God. And so he did. He had a hopeful expectation. I want you to understand some principles and applications this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture in a broad sense. I wonder sometimes if we give up praying too easily. While there's still hope. There are times we plead with God about certain things and and, and then we we, kind of lay it off after a while. So God hasn't answered me yet. God hasn't heard my cries. I'm so thankful to see the victories that God has wrought. I think of Casey, the cancer she battled. Now a church wept and prayed over her. And how somebody met me in the hallway after that service and said, All those tears aren't going to help, preacher. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I heard somebody say, Well, I guess we'll just enjoy her while we can. Well, it made me so angry. You've given up praying already. No, there's still hope. So we pray. I remember going up to the hospital when Art Taves was given a week to live. Massive cancerous tumor all through his body. My wife and I ran into him at the superstore a few months ago, and he says, I still can't believe God healed me. Gone. Miracle. Hey, don't quit praying. Listen, listen. you say, well, I, I kind of gave up praying on that. No, no, you quit on God. You quit on God. David said, I'm going to keep praying. Because while he is alive, while there's even a shallow breath left in that child's lungs, I'm going to hold out hope and who knows whether God will be gracious. When David asked that question, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me and the child may live? Listen, understand this. No one answered him. Because no one else knew either. Nobody had an answer. Sometimes we think we have all the answers, but God is unsearchable. We, we cannot understand the greatness and the, the, the depth or the height or the, uh, the, how, how big God really is. So take the principle today to never lay off praying. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard somebody pray for something that you considered Foolish. Well, that'll never happen. Good night. What are they thinking? Praying for that. You say, well, that doesn't. It does happen. I've heard it. I've heard people mock. Well, why are they asking for that? That'll never, that can never happen. That'll never take place. Come on. God doesn't work that way anymore. That's because you got little faith. That's why God's not working in your life like that. God is able. Let me say this. The problem is not their big prayer. The problem is your little faith. David had the very word of God saying, the child is going to die, but he says, who can tell if I just beg and plead and pray and fast, if God will be gracious to me? Just maybe God will change the situation. Maybe God will give me this child. You notice that David never Prayed for all those other things that were pronounced upon him. He just didn't want that child to suffer for his sin. Who can tell? Let me ask you this morning, how big is your God? I I would encourage you to pray bigger prayers. You say, what are you talking about bigger prayers? Joshua asked the son to stand still. And it did. I don't know if it gets much bigger than that. To stop the earth from spinning on its axis. Incredible. But the Bible doesn't express that God had any effort in that at all. Just no problem. He breathed into a man and he became a living soul. Just his breath. I love in the book of Revelation when Jesus will come and the Bible says a sword will go out of his tongue. We, we, we talk about the armies of the living God. You're just going to sit and watch, by the way. You don't get to do anything. You don't have to, because the one that is riding upon that horse, whose name is faithful and true, his sword will go out of his mouth, the very word of God, and slay all the armies of the world, just like that. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Four quaternions of soldiers came after him. See, how many is that? That's a lot. That's a lot. 96, I believe. 24 soldiers in a quaternion. They would come, and Jesus would look at them and say, Whom seekest thou? And they all fell down. Power of God. Hey, listen, when we pray when we plead with God, your big old prayer request that you think, I I can't ask God for that, it's nothing to God. You need to pray bigger because he is a big God. Because who can tell whether God will be gracious to you? Who can tell? Everybody else around you say, well, I can tell. That ain't gonna happen. Aren't you glad you're not praying to them? Aren't you glad you're not worried about their opinion? But you're speaking to the almighty, all-powerful, unsearchable God. Who can tell? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts today, we pray. Move in our midst. Lord, I pray that perhaps today there'd be a twofold thrust. One, a challenge. A challenge to those that... Have stopped believing that God can. That we lay off our prayers too soon, or we think that others are praying things that just may not come to pass. Challenge us, rekindle our faith, help us to know that we have a big God. Lord, I hope it will also be an encouragement to those who are praying to not leave off, but to keep pursuing the throne of grace. Help them to realize that there's nothing too hard for God to do. With God, nothing shall be impossible. So Lord, remind us of these things today. Challenge our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He's a good God. If God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come today Maybe you need to take that big prayer request and not be ashamed of it. Make it public. Bring it to the throne today. Maybe there's somebody here today who says, I I need to know that big God. I need to meet him. The God that created all that is and yet he cares about me so much. He listens when I pray. You can know him today, but you have to come through Jesus Christ because Jesus paid the price for your sins and if you'll trust him by faith today he will save you by his grace just by simply repenting and asking we'd like to help you with that today we'd show you in the Bible what it means to have eternal life through Jesus Christ there's one say pastor I'm not sure I'm saved would you pray for me I'm not going to embarrass you nobody's looking around I promise I won't call you out is there one pastor would you pray for me you slipped up your hand, leave it up a little longer. Sometimes it's hard for me to see the back rows with the lights, and I don't want to miss anybody. Is there one? Amen. How many of you would say today that you're trusting God for something big? You don't need to raise your hand. I just want you to search your heart a little bit. I'm trusting God to do something miraculous. Hey, be not weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Just keep bombarding the throne of grace, and who can tell whether God will be gracious? Perhaps it won't be God's will, and perhaps His providence will become apparent, and God will answer in a way you weren't expecting. But be assured of this God is always good, and God is always full of grace.